This morning, we have a, a guest speaker who's going to be bringing uh, God's Word to us. He's a, a personal friend of our church and a personal uh, friend of mine who is near, near to my heart, uh, Tuvia Zaretsky. He is one of the founders of this ministry, Jews for Jesus, that we have supported for a long time. Um, he got started with them in the 1970s, and the Lord has been using him in powerful ways. He's a graduate of my alma mater, uh, Fuller Theological Seminary, where he did a master's degree in Judaic studies, and he went on to earn a doctorate at Western Seminary. Uh, his wife is a sweetheart, too, uh, Ellen. They have three adult kids, three grandkids on the last count that I checked, and uh, they're just delightful. So if you're new in the church, uh, Dr. Zaretsky told me that the last time he spoke here was 2018. So if you've started attending the church since then, uh, you, you, you haven't had an opportunity to hear him preach and interact with him. By way of interaction, he has a table in the entryway. There's a sign-up if you'd like to get his newsletter. Uh, he has some books as well that, that he is selling, a powerful book in particular. So you can pick that up and you can interact with him after the service. Uh, this morning, he'll be speaking to us about why Israel still matters. Um, and so I'm looking forward to hearing it. And without further ado, would you give a warm welcome to Dr. Tuvia Zaretsky. He's, he's, he's got a cold, so we're doing the elbow thing. Right now. Chess? Hey! <laughs> We're live. <laughs> Good old turn it on and off trick. <laughs> Just to be here uh, on, a, on the platform where you have such a terrific teacher on a regular basis. And I just want to say blessings and thank you for setting a high bar here. Not so much intimidation, but a joy, because I know that you're educated and, and in, 
invested in the body, what we're doing as a body of Christ, and invested in the Word of God. And so I'm looking forward to doing this. Just by way of a little introduction, with a name like Tuvia Zaretsky, you know I've come from a faraway, strange, and exotic. I'm from the San Francisco Bay Area. <laughs> uh, my parents, though, however, my father's family came from Belarus. My great-grandfather was murdered because he was a Jew. They sent three sons to North America. One of them was my grandfather, and my father was born in Canada because they weren't able to emigrate into the United States at that time. He made his way in, into the U.S. as a, uh, a military um, officer, uh, served as a physician in World War II, and met my mom at a USO club in the Holy Land. That's the Bronx, New York. <laughs> Her family came from Austria-Hungary, Jewish family as well. Uh, they married out in California here, and I was born and raised in this region. I grew up in Judaism. I knew nothing about Christianity, knew nothing about Christians. Uh, I'm not going to go through the whole story. I'll tell you where you can get it in just a few moments. But, but I came to faith in Jesus reluctantly. I just wanted to know the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, desperately. Religion wasn't cutting it for me. It wasn't working. And as I finished my college education, I still wanted to know a spiritual foundation for life. And I was calling out to God. And a Christian risked the relationship just to say, well, if you want to know God, why don't you just call out to him? He made a promise. Oh, what promise did he make? Ask, you'll receive. Seek, you'll find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. Whose words are those? She didn't tell me those were the words of Jesus. Because she knew if, I, if she had, I would never have, have prayed them. But I went out that night and I prayed, and God answered me and brought me to faith in Jesus. Now, at the time, I was working in a drug abuse clinic doing drugs. That'll tell you a little bit about the background. I moved to Israel shortly after asking a pastor in the community to baptize me. And in Israel, I was discipled for the next two years, thought about making immigration to the state of Israel, and the Lord sent me back to the United States to talk to my own people. And that's how I got involved with the ministry of Jews for Jesus. There's a lot more to that story. On the back table, you'll see a little uh, sign-up sheet and a brochure called uh, Hineni. That's Hebrew for here am I. That was the theme of my bar mitzvah at the age of 13 in my synagogue. I said to God, Hineni, here am I, but where are you? Well, now I know who he is through the person of Jesus, our Messiah. And uh, if you want to know the, the full story, you can just sign up in the back. Uh, it's uh, either I can send it to you digitally by email, or um, if you want a paper version, send me a, give me an email, uh, an address, and I'll send that over to you. But uh, this morning, I want to delve into the uh, question, because I hear this a lot these days. Okay, so Israel was set aside to, to, to be part of the, the coming of the Messiah, or foundational to the coming of that Messiah, that's happened, so why are they still around? Does God care about Israel? Hasn't the church replaced Israel? Does Israel still matter? I'm going to read um, a passage in a moment, and uh, the passage that I'm going to be speaking from this morning, uh, and then I want to, want to pray. And I hope I'll get a chance to meet a bunch of you at the, at the back table. Uh, again, I'm, I'm not hugging or shaking hands because I've got a cold, so I'll just, you know, fist bump, okay? 
but I'm privileged to be with you. And uh, this is the passage that I want to share this morning. I'm going to be speaking from the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 through 9. It reads, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his personal possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. The Lord did not make you his beloved nor choose you because you were greater in number than any of the peoples since you were the fewest of all peoples. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers, the Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God, he is God the faithful God who keeps his covenant and his faithfulness to a thousand generations for those who love him and keep his commandments. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for calling us all to be your people who walk in the way of Jesus and know your salvation through the grace that you poured out for us at the cross of Calvary. Lord, you laid the foundation for our understanding of these truths in your interaction with the people Israel. And I pray this morning that you might help us understand the mission to which you have called all of us by the example of what you have done in relating through these people to us today. Let your words, Lord, come through me in all that you've taught, that all I've learned and all has been prepared. May your word come alive in the hearts of your people that we might serve you in holiness and as your royal priesthood. We give you thanks for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. So, by the way, Matt, do I... Ignore that one. Okay, good. Here we go. Okay. So I'm asking, why does... Why Israel still matters, and uh, uh, to do that, see if this is working. There we go. Israel matters to Yahweh first of all, and I'm going to call him Yahweh because that's his personal name. We could call him the Lord, and every time you see L O R D in caps in your Bible, that's because the Bible translators recognize that in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, Yud Hey Vav Hey was God's personal name, and he said, you shall not take my name in vain. And the rabbis said, whoa, we don't want to even risk making that mistake, so we're not even going to say the name at all. The whole point was that God's name was to be sanctified and treated with respect and dignity, not never said. So we don't have to build hedges about, around being afraid of the fact, because God loves us from the very, very beginning. And as a creator, he has this beautiful plan from human history. And it's a relational plan because he loves you and he loves me. And that creator God gave us his Bible that lays that plan out through the history of the Jewish people. And it culminates in a person. And that person is his redeemer, our Messiah, Jesus. Now, I will tell you that very often I hear Christians 
Christian scholars in particular try and give a shorthand for the Bible, and they will, they will use the phrase or the acronym CFRC or CFRCR, creation, fall, redemption, culmination, renewal. But you know, if you go from CF, creation, fall, to redemption, you miss everything between Genesis 12.3 and Matthew 1. And everything that in that section is all about Israel and God's interaction and relationship with them. And I want this morning to take a look at biblical Israel. When I talk about Israel, I know a lot of Christians think, oh, the state of Israel today, the modern state of Israel, that's one manifestation of a gathering of Jewish people through all the history and all the millennia. But that's not the totality of Israel, and that's not what I'm talking about when I reference Israel, the biblical people. I'm talking about every Jew descent, Jewish descendant, every Jewish person that came from the lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who became Israel, the descendants of Israel. And I want you to be able to think about that broad swath of people for 3,900 years and the significance of them for God's plan and his purpose. He has a plan. He has a people through which he tells, tells that story of the plan. And in the end, he has that redeemer, Jesus, who it was pointing to and who's the culmination of all of that. So are you good with me so far? Israel, the people, not the state. Suspend that one for right now. And I want to just remind you, I hope you'll see that this morning that when we talk about Israel, you'll give my people a break because there are a lot of people that think Israel was supposed to be this morally righteous nation state that set an example for us and a high bar for our sanctity. Uh -uh. Jewish people are just like you and me. So Israel's a nation of people descended from Abraham, uh, a Chaldean. I tend to say Israel, Abraham wasn't even Jewish. He was Avram, sent from uh, probably the people who were scattered after the chaos of Babel and the fall of the tower there. Remains in, in uh, southern what is today Iraq. A herder and a father. And in telling the story, we have to step back a little bit. For in, in the history of, of what led up to the Jewish people, Genesis chapter 2, Adam and Eve lived with God in the Garden of Eden. We think it's down in that, that uh, uh, area uh, by the, the, um, between Iraq and Iran today. And uh, he spoke with them. He lived with them. He walked with them. He gave them free will. And they exercised that to their own fall, as we would. And the rejection in that, that one choice of freedom resulted in disloyalty, distrust, and a broken relationship with God. And in Genesis 2.17, the Lord told them, dying spiritually, disconnected from Yahweh, you will surely die physically. The metaphor is, and I heard this from uh, uh, a rapper named Kindred Shepherd. He said, God gave you the breath of life. You used it to curse him. He has the right to demand you give it back. Dying, you will surely die. Break that loyalty 
and you will miss the relationship that he intended. And so God, who loves us and loved Adam and Eve from the very beginning, made a promise in the, right from the beginning in Genesis chapter 3.15. He promises that he's going to redeem and repair the separation for all who die in spirit and ultimately in, in death. And he said, and I will put, this, this is the, what he says to the one who, who tricked, who beguiled the woman, the serpent, the adversary. I will put enmity between you and the, and the woman and between your seed, the seed of the serpent, and her seed, the promised righteous one. And he shall crush you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. Paul in Romans 12, 18 saw the Lord's reconciliation plan from Adam to Jesus. And he said, therefore, in the same way the judgment had come to all people through the offense of Adam resulting in death, even so through one man's righteous act, Jesus the Redeemer, the free gift of eternal life came to all people resulting in justification and reconciliation to life. So a male child was promised from the very beginning through a woman to redeem humanity, all humanity from bondage in death and separation from God, the God who loves us. But if God's going to do that, he needs a woman, he's going to need a family, he's going to need a tribe and a nation. And that's where Israel comes in. Paul in Galatians reminded us that now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed, and he, the Lord, does not say, and to seeds, plural, as referring to many, but rather to one, as to your seed, that is, Messiah, the anointed one. So Abraham, that Chaldean, is called by God to be the patriarch of many nations, one of which is going to be Israel, through which comes a redeemer. Abraham has Isaac, Isaac has Jacob, Jacob has 12 sons, they go down into Egypt, and in 400 years they become a nation known by their forefather's name, Israel. And Yahweh chooses Israel for a purpose. He created the people of Israel to be the delivery system of that redeemer Messiah, that child of the woman. And Israel is the conduit of blessing through which the Messiah Jesus would come to end that separation, isolation from God, the spiritual death. And anyone who would trust in him would receive the blessing of life and know the living God and the gift of the Redeemer. So God speaks to Abraham in Genesis 12, 3. And one behind. Glad I looked. There we go. And he said to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you, I will curse those who curse you, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed through that seed. Yahweh displays his love and loyalty through the personal interactions with Israel throughout the ages. That's how we know he's a loving God and a loyal and a faithful God in the way that he cared for that nation. And Israel, the nation, was never less broken than any of the other nations. Yet God established the terms of that relationship. And this is where I, I love this picture that develops in God's relationship with Israel. 
This is a, I learned this from um, Walter, Walter C. Kaiser, Jr. He said, you look through the scriptures and you'll see this repeated. From Genesis all the way out to Revelation, God said to Israel, I will be your God, you will be my people, and I will dwell in the midst of you. I will be your God, you will be my people, and I will dwell in the midst of you. We heard it first in, in Leviticus, in the, the Torah, while we're in Sinai as a, a new nation, just released from slavery and captivity. And God says, moreover, I will make my dwelling among you. Remember the, the tabernacle? And my soul will not reject you. I will also walk among you. Day by day, a pillar of fire, a cloud, and a, at night, a pillar of fire. And you shall be my people. I will be your God, you will be my people, and I will dwell in the midst of you. We see that echoed throughout the scriptures and to the body of believers at the very end in, in Revelation chapter 21, verse 3. Still not doing it, huh? I guess I didn't put it in here. Okay. Behold the tabernacle, it says, Behold the tabernacle of God is, is among men, and he will dwell among you, and they shall be my people, and God himself shall be among them. So let's talk about some of the reasons uh, why Israel still matters to Yahweh, and that's because in the very beginning, Yahweh chose Israel. And here's where we get to, to the first uh, passage that I read. And these are, there are three things I want you to notice here. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his personal possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Okay, that first, first statement, you're a, a holy people. Um, a lot of folks think, well, that means that Yahweh chose a people who are morally superior and righteous. That's oftentimes the mistake made when we, use the, we see the term righteous or holy, holy. It means set apart. Israel was like any other nation, but he set the nation apart for his intended purpose. I'm married to a Jewish woman that I absolutely adore. Her name is, is Ellen. Um, I was in my early 30s, and I thought, I'll never find anybody who would marry me, let alone marry somebody like me working with an institution like Jews for Jesus. And how would that work as I'm now trying to tell my own people about Jesus? You have to understand there's a lot of, a lot of tension going on in the families, right? When, when I told God, I'm never going to find anybody, and he introduced me to Ellen, I realized he had somebody picked out. We're sanctified to one another. We are set apart to one another for life. She's very, very special to me. Among all the women on the face of the earth, we're sanctified. We belong to each other. It's not that we're morally righteous or perfect. It's that God has separated us to each other for his purpose in life, and I'm blessed for that. Israel was made a holy people set apart for God's purpose in the same way that you and I are is as the body of Christ. And I'm so glad to hear about and know of the mission focus here at Delray Church and to know that, that you recognize 
that God has called us not just to be warming pews and chairs, but to be out there telling the world this incredible, glorious message that he's given to us. So Israel is called to be a holy people by the Lord your God. And the Lord has chosen you. Now this is the one that I think has given, given more problems than any. Because people have said, oh, why Israel? Israel didn't seem to be any better a nation than the rest of us. Why Israel? Well, one answer is, and Jews tend to answer questions by, with a question, why Israel? Why not? But it, God chose Israel because it was his sovereign election to do so. There is, in, in God's calling, the idea of remnant, of faithful remnant. That's the New Testament view of the elect and election. And so God, in his, his grace, mercy, and plan, chose Israel to accomplish his purpose. He could have used anybody. It could have been any nation. There wasn't anything in human form that was any more special. And let me put it this way. Being chosen, knowing that you are chosen, should be incredibly humbling. As a kid, I stood in front of the synagogue in uh, my hometown at the age of 13. I wanted to know God, and I put my, my hand up in front of the, the sanctuary, and I uttered the words of the prophet Isaiah, Hineni, here am I, send me. I had no idea about this Jews for Jesus thing coming down the road. <laughs> Didn't have that in mind. But at that moment, there was this certain idea that this was a, a, a very special place to, to be um, standing. If I'd known what, what being chosen was all about, I would have been very, very humbled in that day. We are a people who are called by God to a special purpose in this life. And it's nothing that we can do on our own. It's impossible without his work in and through us. And I'm glad that, that the Lord Jesus gave us his Holy Spirit to enable us to do what he has commissioned us to do by choosing us. But I remind you, it is a matter of elected election and his grace. It's his choice. Why did he choose Israel? Because it was his choice. And I will point to the, the history of my people, and if you think that it was easy to be Jewish, remember October 7th. I've grown up with, with a, a fear and a vulnerability that was built into my life by my father, who told me the stories of his grandfather and his father, who endured anti-Semitism far greater than, than I've known in my life. And I have known anti-Semitism. I've had people treat me with the kind of disdain and well, there, there are many of us in this congregation who know what it's like to have somebody look at you and go, you're not as good as me. In fact, I don't think much of you or your people. 
My dad grew up in an area where, where there were signs on the beach that said, no dogs or Jews allowed. God has given each and every single one of us dignity and worth from the moment we were born because he loves us and we are his creation. And the fact that he chose Israel doesn't say that Israel was a great and glorious nation. You'll see why in a moment. No. It's because of his election and his grace. So the Lord has, uh, he has a plan for our lives too, doesn't he? He has a plan where he treasures us first, and he promises that he'll love us and never leave us, that he's re uh, rescued us, and patiently over a lifetime, we will grow into his likeness and in his ways. Israel is Yahweh's treasure, his holy people set apart, and he has delivered them because of the Messiah. Last thing I want to say is Israel is Yahweh's possession. This is this is a, an interesting phrase. Uh, he speaks of, of Israel as amskula, uh, a special treasure. Um, kind of like, it, it, this is not a, a, um, an asset which has a commercial value that could be marketed. This is something that's subjectively valuable to the heart of God. And he looks at his people and he loves us passionately. And he treasures us. And that's the way he chose to look at Israel. A loving relationship that he wants to have with all people. And Israel and all the nations are the reason that he died at the cross of Calvary to bring us into that relationship. So he says to this nation at Sinai, I will walk among you. I will be your God. You will be my people. Israel matters to God. And it matters to us as a picture of the way God chooses to relate to his people, the body of Christ. And the body of Christ doesn't eliminate the fact that there is still an Israel alive and functioning in the world. And why I'm so passionate that they still need to know the gospel of Jesus Christ to enter into that loving and living relationship with him. Jewish people are not grandfathered into salvation. Can I get an amen on that one? I work, uh, my ministry focus is Jewish-Gentile couples relationship. And these days with Jewish intermarriage at a 62% rate here in North America and higher here on the West Coast, we're having incredible opportunities to talk to Jewish people about Jesus because those Jewish people are in relationships with non-Jews, and a lot of them happen to be people who are Christians or who have known Christ or have had Christian experience growing up. And we're seeing those conversations at such a rate that I may never get to stop doing what I'm doing. Amen. There's a brochure on the back table that I'm really excited about. We just, we just produced that this year. If you want to know more, just pick one of those up. Um, there's a QR code on the back. It'll take you to our website, jewishgentlecouples.com. I know now every single church that I go into, I'm not going to ask for hands, but there are people in the congregation who have somebody married into your family, dating somebody in your family, living with somebody in your family, living in your family, <laughs> living at your home.
It's happening all over the place. Israel matters to us because like them, God has sanctified them and has set them apart. And we have an opportunity to minister to them. Amazingly, and what I love about this is, in the New Testament, the Apostle Peter said, you know what? Those, those words from Deuteronomy chapter 7 apply to us as a body of Christ. For he said to, to the early church, but you are a chosen people. And he's quoting Deuteronomy. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. If you're in Messiah, rescued in the Redeemer's seed, Jesus, the Lord has invested dignity and worth in you as his child. And like Israel, God proclaims through us his character and salvation, his plan to all people. He wants to be your God. He wants you to be his person. And he wants to live inside of you. And he's called us, as the body of Christ, to be sanctified, set apart, to be his possession, and to be inhabited by him to bring that message to all the nations. And secondly, Yahweh shows his love and loyalty to, in his relationship through the way he relates to Israel. Yahweh's love loves not because it's deserved, but because he is love and pledges to act according to his promises. Remember I said being chosen should humble us. God didn't love Israel because Israel was such... Well, let me, let's read the passage because it's right there in Deuteronomy. The Lord did not make you his beloved nor choose you because you were greater in number than any of the peoples since you were the fewest of all peoples. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to the, your forefathers, Yahweh, Yahweh's love is never earned. It already exists. You know, I, very often the temptation is to, to think, is if I do this, will God love me more? Uh, um, years ago, several years ago, there was a, um, a book written called Unholy Devotion. And it was answering the question, why is it that Christians go off and do all these funny things that end up looking like cults? Why do evangelical Christians go off doing things that are extraneous to just walking and living with Jesus? And he said, the, the answer to that question was, it's the something more factor. The second we start asking ourselves, is there something more I can do for Jesus? to make him love me more. We've made a mistake. There is nothing that we could do to add to what he's done on the cross at Calvary. Nothing. When God said, I am Yahweh, have no other gods before you, he said that in the context of a world in which Canaan and Egypt and Assyria and Mesopotamia had all these gods. Anything that we love and desire more than the sufficiency of our God is an idol. And God says to us, you don't need to do that. 
Trust his loving kindness. Look at what he's done with Israel. He's never abandoned the people. He's never turned his back on the oath that he gave to them. He never stopped keeping the promises. He never curtailed, even after, even after twice exiling the southern and northern kingdoms, he still completed the plan of the Redeemer, bringing Jesus 500, 500 years later. There is one God, sanctified us, called his possession, loved us, and we don't have to do anything more than to stand in his loving kindness to serve him. Yahweh's acts demonstrated that he's faithful. We watched the way he, he uh, redeemed uh, Israel out of Egypt, how he kept his promise to bring the seed of the woman. And uh, in the very next verse in Deuteronomy, Moses said, The Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Yahweh proved his covenant faithfulness to Israel repeatedly throughout history. And it all began with Pesach. That's why every year Jewish people celebrate Passover, to remember what God has done in our past. That's why we celebrate the, the festivals. Uh, Feast of Tabernacles, to remember that he dwelt with us. He provided for us. And he cared for us. And that's why Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, before he was crucified, turns to his followers and says, I want you to remember the faithfulness of God and what he has done. Do these things. Take the bread and remember my body. Take the cup and remember my blood. And as often as you do those things, remember the faithfulness of God, that he loves you enough to pour out his blood for you and me. That's why we'll come to these tables shortly. God in his faithfulness kept his covenant and kept his promises. It should not have been a surprise to Joseph and Mary. When the angel came to Joseph, he's betrothed to a young Hebrew woman. It's going to be a marriage in the, in the community. Miriam's or Mary's family is going to get some, um, some goats and, and sheep uh, and some milk probably to replace the fact that they're going to lose her to Joseph's family. But he's troubled. She's, they're not, they haven't consummated the marriage yet, and she's got a baby. But in the midst of that, God is fulfilling his covenant promise, his oath from the very beginning in Genesis 3.15. For the seed of the woman is to come. And in Matthew 1, 20 and 21, the angel says to Joseph, Yosef ben David, don't be afraid to take Miriam as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit didn't start with the New Testament. Holy Spirit was around all throughout the Hebrew Scriptures. You saw that as you studied, the Old, went through the Old Testament last year. She shall give birth to a son, 
And here there is, there is a play on words in the original languages. I'm convinced of this. You're going to hear me say, say his name in Hebrew. The name Jesus is, is an English transliteration for a Hebrew name, Yeshua. Yeshua means Savior. Yehoshua, anybody named Joshua? Yehoshua, Yahweh is Savior. Yahweh saves. You shall call his name Yeshua, for he will hoshia his people from their sins. You shall call his name Savior, Yeshua, because he will save hoshia his people from their sins. I'm okay with Jesus. We know what it's, what it's all about. In Israel, for years, for centuries, our people, our Jewish people, the, our leaders told us, don't say the name Jesus. It's a, it's a name of a, uh, an idol. It's a name of a false prophet. It's a name of a false god. So in Israel, when they want to refer to the Christian's god, they call him Yeshu. Yeshu, not Yeshua. Yeshua, they'd have to call him Savior. Yeshu doesn't mean anything. It's an acrostic. The rabbis say it's made of three words. Yamach shemo vezichro. May his name and memory be cursed. I grew up and lived in a culture that had blinded my people to the truth of Jesus. In 2000, it was my joy to, to register Jews for Jesus as a mission agency in the state of Israel under the name Jews for Jesus. Who knew? But the first thing we did was lift high the name Yeshua and say, Yeshua, Savior, that's what people call Jesus and what you call Yeshu. And you need to know Yeshua means Yeshua, salvation. It's been a radical change in the land, and so many of the Messianic believers now lift that name high. So God's words are tested, and Joseph and Miriam saw this, this baby born, the fulfillment of his promise, and God is still faithful and true to his Abrahamic covenant, and he still can be trusted to save the nations through the new covenant redemption that comes in Jesus through the prophet Jeremiah, Jer Jeremiah chapter 31. I'm going to suggest later that you might want to look at that as a response to this morning. So the last part of this passage that we're looking at, um, why Israel still matters, Yahweh proves his character, Israel, his people. And he proves his character this way in verse 9. Know therefore that the Lord your God, know therefore that Yahweh your God, he is God, the faithful God, who keeps his covenant and his faithfulness, to a thousand generations for those who love him and keep his commandments. Yahweh is faithful because the Lord loves his people and he keeps his promises. And his people know that they're loved and they know that he's loyal and they know that they can trust him. And we love him because he desired us first. Our love for God is a response to what he's already done for us. We don't have to make a play out of this. Take time to remember how broken and sinful we are and you'll find your heart resonating to the good news how much God loves us and has done.
I think it's hard for us to know how much God loves us until we realize our own brokenness. And it's admittedly hard to admit our brokenness and sin until we know that we're loved. And that's why we're called on to show people the love of Christ, to show the love of God in our lives, to care for people, to show all the fruits of the Spirit as God works in and through us. And I'm praying, especially this year, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about how can we do this practically. This year is an election year. And people have been complaining about, you know, how, how tense things are and, and how troubled things are. The politics of the, the environment in which we're living can rip the church apart as much as it can the country. And my plea to the body of Christ is that we radiate the love of God for one another and our community Regardless of our political differences, it's okay to have those differences, and it's okay to have principles, and it's okay to have positions. But how we communicate that and express that and represent that in our community, can we do that with a love that's generated, recognizing the worth and dignity that God has invested in every single one of us in sending Jesus to die for our brokenness? Amen? Something to pray about and work toward. God deserves our loyalty because he makes himself worthy of our trust. So I want to go to the conclusion then, okay? Israel should matter for these reasons. If we understand what Moses taught Israel in Deuteronomy 7, verse 6, we can better appreciate what Peter said about us applying to the body of, of believers. And I'm going to put it up here and repeat it to us. Oops. There we go. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Are you chosen? Amen. It should humble us that he has chosen us and elected us, not because we're the elite. You know, the scripture said... The elite and the wise consider the things that we believe foolish. But God has has chosen the weak and the broken to be his. And he invests in us all that is necessary to be his voice, his hands, his loving heart. A royal priesthood, we are commissioned by King Jesus King of heaven, heir to the throne of David, but so much bigger than the Davidic dynasty. The king of all heaven and creation. We're commissioned by him to be ministers, priests, mediators between people and God, to introduce people to the living Lord and to show them by our lives and our words and our deeds, and our care, that he's a loyal, loving God, and invite others to be his disciples. And we, too, are Yahweh's treasured possession. And the best part about this is, it's not all up to us. He poured out his Holy Spirit to enable us to be that. You know, and I I realized Jesus turned to his disciples and he said, it's a good thing I'm going away. 
because my Father will send the Holy Spirit to indwell you, and he walks with us, and he lives in us. And how many times we, we say, God, I don't know what to say in this situation. Be the words that I need. Be the patience and loving kindness. Be the forbearance that I need. Be the wisdom that I don't have. Be the poise that I don't have in this moment. And he does and is. Secondly, the, commandment of Yahweh, the commandments of Yahweh are found in Moses' instructions to Israel. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just leave these with you. I'm going to suggest you look at, um, yeah, Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 6 through 27. The, the ten words, we call them the ten commandments. The first five were um, all about Yahweh, all about God, what his character is. The last five are about us and our brokenness. But I'll leave those for you to, to look at. They're, they're a way, as you examine those, God will use his words to speak to you. And uh, Jesus looked at all of that. Um, and when, they, when, they asked, when the Pharisees asked him, which of those commandments is the greatest of all, I would remind you that, that he, he told the, the religious leadership, well, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Um, he's quoting, uh, obviously, from, from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 5, that, that great, the Shema Yisrael, Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your, your mind uh, with all your strength. Um, the, Jesus added your mind. That, was, that was, always threw me off because uh, the, Greek, the Hellenized Jews thought of heart and mind as two separate things. And he said, uh, you shall love the Lord your God with, with all your strength, with all your soul, nephesh, with all your heart. With all your life, pour yourself out for him and let him, by the power of his spirit, the same way he did dwelling in the midst of Israel, accomplish his purpose. I love the, I want to close with this. This is a, um, a wonderful uh, summation of uh, Simeon. Simeon was a, a Jewish guy who was living in Israel, he um, uh, had been told by the Holy Spirit that he was not going to die until he saw the seed of the woman. Genesis 3.15. Simeon was waiting for that. The consolation of Israel. The, the child that was supposed to be born through the nation. And in that, in that time, uh, Simeon is in the temple in Jerusalem, the Herodian temple. And Joseph and Miriam walk into the temple with the baby. 30 days after the baby's born, they're going to do what's called the Pidyana Ben, the, the birth, the uh, consecration of the, the firstborn child. They're going to make an offering to purchase the child back from God, as they were told. And in that moment, Simeon sees the baby and he realizes this, this is the Savior. And he walks over and takes the baby from Miriam's hands cradles the baby there in the holy temple, and he says these words. 
My eyes have seen et Yeshua Techa. My eyes have seen your Yeshua. My eyes have seen your salvation, O Lord, which you prepared in the presence of all the peoples of light of revelation, a light of revelation to the nations and the glory of your people Israel. Israel was made holy, set apart, sanctified, chosen for this baby, this Redeemer, who would pour out his blood for all. This baby is the light, the hope for all the nations, for all time. The baby who came to pour out his blood for our redemption. I'm going to pray, and I want to invite us right after that as the musicians come again and lead us in uh, worship to come to the table as Jesus asked us to remember what he's done for us and to remember that from Genesis 12.3 to Matthew 1.1, Israel matters because God has used this nation to tell his story that we might understand. We are a chosen people, a holy nation, called to be a royal priesthood in serving him. Avinu Shabashamayim, our Father in heaven, thank you for inviting us into your perfect plan. And according to your immeasurable love for each of your creation, you called us. Commission our lives according to your call as your chosen people, each one of us your treasured possession, each one of your royal priesthood for ministering the blessing of your new covenant in Messiah Jesus. We come to your table now to give thanks for his body and blood given for the remission of our sins with thanksgiving in your name. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.